I don't go uh, to uh, the movies as frequently as I did uh, when I was younger. But I remember uh, uh, going during my my teenage years, and and I often had uh, high expectations uh, when uh, I would go into the movie theaters. For some reason, I thought certain movies would be life-altering, like my life from this point forward is just never going to be the same. And and, uh, you can uh, probably not be surprised when I walked away from those films dissatisfied, uh, going in with, with lofty expectations, and over time, I... I gradually figured out or realized that when I went into a movie uh, with no expectations uh, or low expectations, uh, I enjoyed the movie a lot more uh, than when I came in uh, with the bar set really, really high, uh, expecting great uh, things. And uh, this uh, disappointment that comes on the heels of really high expectations uh, comes in a variety of uh, circumstances. Sometimes we are uh, disappointed by a particular uh, holiday, uh, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, uh, a birthday. Sometimes we're disappointed by a sports team. Uh, we won't go into that. Uh, there's uh, many who are mourning uh, from previous losses. Uh, but uh, others of us have been disappointed after uh, purchasing a, a product uh, or a, a car uh, or even sometimes even a home. Sometimes we were uh, disappointed by another person. Uh, we didn't think that they would let us down, and they did. Uh, there are, are so many areas of life uh, where we slowly and subtly uh, build up uh, expectations without even realizing it. Uh, and uh, usually we don't even take the time uh, to examine our expectations because we, we build them up uh, unconsciously. And sometimes our expectations are... Uh, proper and, and, and realistic and correctly attuned, and other times they are uh, very unrealistic uh, or out of uh, uh, where they should be. And, and my hope this morning is to uh, examine uh, and try and set uh, appropriate biblical expectations for uh, a desire that we all uh, have, and that would be the, the desire for friendship and community. Uh, it's easy to become uh, dissatisfied. Uh, and disappointed with others that we had high expectations of, uh, especially when it comes uh, in uh, the context of community within the local church, right? Uh, every, every one of us has certain expectations about uh, what uh, will, will take place uh, in a local church. And uh, my aim this morning is not to say that we uh, shouldn't have high expectations uh, of what uh, church is and, and is ought to be. But uh, rather, we ought to have the right expectations. Uh, And then also, uh, a part of our expectations uh, in the local church ought to be uh, that uh, whatever our expectations are, uh, at one point or another, we will be disappointed. Uh, No matter how high or how low, uh, somebody is going to let you down. Uh, I will probably at some point, if you're here long enough, uh, I will probably let you down. Uh, I just want to let you know up front, for those of you who are here for the first day, welcome to ABF. and, uh, but as we seek to uh, set correct expectations uh, concerning fellowship and community in a local church, I want to address uh, several things this morning, really four. Uh, and the first would be what uh, true Christian fellowship is, uh, what implications accompany it. Uh, third, why we should prioritize such fellowship. And then number four, how we ought to go about uh, building such fellowship into community. Uh, but, but beginning with that first uh, question, what is true Christian fellowship? Now, there are a lot of uh, buzzwords in, in Christian circles uh, nowadays. Uh, again, community is one of them. Doing life together, uh, authentic uh, relationship. Uh, and, and all of those really need further uh, defining. Uh, and all of those uh, do not necessarily distinguish uh, Christian relationships from non-Christian relationships, right? Uh, you, you can uh, be united in a variety of things. Uh, and the, and the, the, where we get our uh, word fellowship, uh, the, the Greek word koinonia, uh, the, the root word means fellow or participate, participants, and it implies a, a participation in or a sharing with somebody else. Uh, and expresses really a, a two-sided relationship. 
Uh, and uh, in connection with our English uh, usage, fellow can be used uh, really as an adjective to describe being united by common birth, uh, common interest, uh, age, or experience. Uh, when, when a president of the United States uh, addresses the nation, how does he usually begin? My fellow Americans. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, famous uh, book trilogy. First book in that trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring. He's referring to a, a group of individuals who have come together and they are participating in uh, an adventure surrounded by or focused upon uh, this uh, ring. And there are uh, numerous other organizations with fellowship in their name. Again, fellowship doesn't necessarily have to uh, be a Christian thing. If you uh, just listen to some of these organizations with fellowship in their name, the, the Catholic Humanism Fellowship or the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, uh, Fellowship of the Trees, uh, Fellowship of Artists, Fellowship of Mind, and the Fellowship of the Frog, uh, which, interestingly enough, is actually, I think, a wine club. Uh, but uh, you can have uh, fellowship uh, based upon any type of common ground. So, so what is it that distinguishes uh, Christian fellowship? Well, namely, I would say that Christians have fellowship, we have a participation, uh, a communion with the triune God. Uh, And uh, what we see in in different places in Scripture is actually uh, fellowship does not occur uh, at all in the Old Testament, uh, the the term, and it only appears a few times in the New Testament. But it's interesting that uh, it's mentioned that we have fellowship with each member of the Trinity. Uh, In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Uh, John the Apostle says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him, referring to God the Father, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now in 1 Corinthians 1.9, fellowship with God the Son is mentioned. It says, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, and so this is the distinguishing, the defining mark of Christian fellowship uh, is that we have fellowship with the triune God. Uh, and what flows out of that then is that because uh, individual believers are uh, connected to the triune God, he's the, the hub uh, of the wheel, and we are all spokes, then we are uh, united and connected and in fellowship uh, with one another. Now, First John uh, 1, verse 7, uh, John, the Apostle John immediately building upon our fellowship with God says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us uh, from all sin. Uh, And so this concept of uh, fellowship, uh, as I looked it up in multiple Bible dictionaries, uh, I love what what one Bible dictionary said. It began with this. It just says, the essence of the Christian life, fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers in Christ. Another Bible dictionary said, uh, defined fellowship as the communion or common faith uh, experiences and expressions shared by the family of believers, uh, as well as the intimate relationship that they have with God. Now, so a good understanding, a good definition of fellowship is going to acknowledge that there is a vertical dimension uh, to our fellowship, and then there is a horizontal dimension uh, to our fellowship. So I, I try to come up with my own uh, definition, uh, I put it this way, the unify, uh, fellow, Christ, true Christian fellowship uh, is the unifying relationship that two or more believers experience as a result of their common relationship with the triune God, uh, that vertical and that horizontal dimension. Uh, and uh, if we have genuinely trusted in Christ for our salvation, if we have looked to him as the son of God uh, and have trusted that he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, uh, and then rose again on the third day, and we are looking to him as our only hope, uh, then we uh, have fellowship with him. And as a result, we have fellowship uh, with every other person who has done the same. Uh, and this is, this is important to, to, to think about and keep in mind. This is, uh, when we talk, speak about fellowship, this is not describing something that ought to be 
this is describing something that already is. Okay, because we have fellowship with God, we immediately have fellowship with one another. Uh, we immediately have common ground and communion with one another. Uh, but if we have fellowship with God the Father that comes through Christ the Son uh, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and that fellowship connects us with one another, then what does that fellowship then uh, imply? Or you could say, what does it demand? What does it look like as it is uh, carried out? That's kind of my, my second question of what are the implications of true Christian fellowship? So a fellowship uh, with God involves uh, an obedience to him. Uh, and we saw that in that passage in, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Uh, that if we say that we have fellowship with God, that, that means something and it necessitates something. Uh, that if we're going to say we have fellowship with God, then we, we are going to demonstrate our fellowship with him by walking in the light. Uh, and he says if you're walking in the darkness, uh, something is uh, disconnected. Uh, something is not uh, as it should be. Uh, and uh, the, the implication uh, of fellowship with God uh, is going to be that we have a common obedience to Christ. Right? If we are walking in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, and so uh, there is going to be uh, a reality that if we are uh, fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with one another, we are committed together to obeying Christ. Uh, and there are over 30 uh, commands in the New Testament that are given in this way. So there's an imperative, do this, uh, and following that is one another. Uh, the, the object of the, the command uh, is, to, is to be carried out or it's acted upon within the context of uh, fellowship, within the context of the Christian church. And the most often repeated of those one another commands in the New Testament is love one another. It's re- repeated in, in numerous uh, places. And there's still 30 different commands, but uh, given uh, multiple times uh, and, and repeated accordingly. Uh, And so true fellowship and true participation in uh, life together as believers is going to involve uh, in obedience uh, to Scripture. Uh, And uh, fundamentally, within that obedience, we are going to uh, be in relationship with one another. And again, that's the that's the the given and the the, the, uh, gets the granted. Uh, But oftentimes uh, we leave out uh, or try and hold back on a part of that uh, relationship. Uh, If you guys, I know I haven't asked you to to open up to a particular passage. I've been reading quite a few, but open up with me to Acts chapter 2. This is one of the the primary uh, places where we have a clear illustration of what the early church uh, did and how they conducted themselves. Now, this is not an exhaustive picture. You've got to read the whole New Testament to get an exhaustive picture of what the early church uh, was like. Uh, but this is a, a well-known uh, passage that's going to, uh, to, to show us uh, what uh, fellowship in the early church uh, was like. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. There's our word to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Uh, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all, as anyone might have need, Uh, and daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, uh, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number uh, daily those who were being saved. Uh, And this is what I I would argue. As the the new Christians, as the the church was was formed, uh, and they realized that they had a common fellowship together, what was the natural result? They did life together. There's one of those uh, uh, terms that need to be defined. Uh, they did life, but really they, they did so much together. Uh, what all is listed there? They, they studied together. Uh, they uh, were in relationship with together. So they had fellowship. They, they prayed together. They ate together. Uh, they uh, sold property and provided for one another. 
Uh, and again, that flows out of their understanding of we are all uh, in fellowship, in relationship, in communion together. Uh, and uh, a little bit later on in Acts chapter 4, we have another uh, description of what was taking place. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. So then the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one was saying that any of his possessions was his own, but for them everything was common. And with great power the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a field, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now this is, again, this is descriptive. There's no command later on in Scripture. It's not, one, of the, one of the commands is not go and sell your property and, and distribute equally. Uh, this is descriptive. It's not necessarily prescriptive. Uh, and so, but, but keeping in mind... All of this flowed out of the reality of their, uh, their fellowship with God. Uh, and oftentimes uh, people uh, read Acts 2 and Acts 4 and they say, wow, we just want to get back to making things uh, simple and wonderful like the early church. The early church was perfect, right? Well, what happens in Acts chapter 5? You have church discipline. What happens in Acts chapter 6? Uh, you have uh, problems and conflict, uh, and we need to organize ourselves differently and establish uh, deacons. Uh, and uh, Acts chapter 7, oh, there's the first martyr. Uh, so now there's, there's death and persecution. Acts chapter 8, uh, you have a, a false teacher, uh, somebody who's going to be, uh, Simon the Magician, who's going to be baptized and then going to be really the first false teacher uh, in the church. Uh, so that, that ideal picture uh, of the, the church in Acts, we, we have to read all of Acts uh, and get a full picture of what the early church uh, was like. Uh, but what, what we should make note of is as the church worships uh, and obeys Christ, it is built up. Right? As they were uh, fellowshipping together, as they were worshiping together, what does Luke note here? What was happening? Uh, more and more people were coming to faith in Christ. Uh, and, and the number of disciples was growing and the church was, uh, was being built up. Uh, and we will grow in maturity and unity as a church uh, as we have that uh, common fellowship and that common commitment to obey Christ. If you turn with me over to uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, and really what we, uh, what we see in Acts uh, chapter 2, the very beginning of the church, the Apostle Paul uh, is going to be exhorting uh, the church in uh, Ephesus uh, to, to be living out. But he's going to, to emphasize uh, the, the need uh, for each uh, person among them uh, to be utilizing uh, and working and building up the church according to their spiritual gifts. Uh, and the, the, there are no one another commands here, but what you're going to see is so many of the commands in the New Testament, they're not given in isolation uh, just to you as an individual. Even if it doesn't have one another at the end of it, uh, we're still going to need to obey this command in community. But beginning in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that he himself, speaking of Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Uh, that's an amazing passage, but you think about what is, uh, what is uh, proclaimed to us here. Really that maturity, unity, peace, and love uh, all come as a result of true Christian fellowship. 
All of those flow out of each one of us uh, participating in the lives of the others. Uh, and so if we don't have true Christian fellowship, if, the, if there is not an, an exercising of each of our spiritual gifts uh, for the edification of all, right, if maturity, unity, peace, and love are the results, uh, what happens uh, when we don't have fellowship? What's missing? Maturity, peace, unity, and love. Uh, which means that the, that the church is characterized by immaturity, disunity, conflict, and hatred. And, and that is a, a common experience in some churches. But what is needed, what is necessary, is that we build upon what is already the reality. That we already have fellowship. Because each one of us, if you are a believer, that we have been united we have fellowship with the triune God. Now, I hope and pray that that, uh, that has your attention, that has convinced you that maybe this fellowship thing is, is pretty important. But let me convince you further. Let me ask this question. Why should we prioritize true fellowship? This is where we're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are five reasons that you should prioritize true fellowship. Turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 2. Go back to the, the very beginning. Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and at the end of each day, he said, it is good. Uh, he, he saw what he created, and he evaluated it on the spot, proclaimed it to be good. Now we see Genesis chapter 2, and he, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 is zooming in on the sixth day. Uh, and on the sixth day, in, in the process of, of creating uh, man, he created uh, Adam, the, the man, first. Uh, and he said, okay, Adam, look for a, look for a helpmate. Because he, in Genesis 2, verse 18, uh, after repeated uh, proclamations about his own creation, verse 18 says, Then Yahweh God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make him a helper suitable for him. So reason number one uh, that we should prioritize fellowship is fellowship is a part of divine wisdom. Fellowship is a part of divine wisdom. Yes, this verse is specifically addressing uh, communion and companionship within marriage. But we also see that relationship is a fundamental part of God's plan. Uh, and this truth, this reality is going to... Uh, to ring true uh, in Christian fellowship as well as in marriage. Uh, man is not intended to be alone, uh, and the believer is not intended to be alone. Uh, as I've said many, many times, a lone ranger is a dead ranger in the Christian faith. Right? But if you think about it, even the lone ranger wasn't alone. Who did he have? Tonto. Right? So like, wait, we need to address the name of this hero here, uh, because he's not the lone ranger. He has Tonto. The Lone Ranger and his friend. Uh, so that's reason number one. Fellowship is a part of divine wisdom. Reason number two, if you turn over with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. See that fellowship is a part of practical wisdom. So King Solomon, the, the wisest man uh, who lived prior to Christ. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, uh, he is uh, looking uh, and making observations at the world around him. Uh, and uh, if you, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, he makes observations about uh, being uh, in uh, partnership uh, and relationship with others. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says, Two are better than one because they have good wages for their labor. For if either of them falls... The one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not a second one to lift him up. Therefore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can stand against him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And so the, the wisdom of Solomon shines forth as he observes how God has established things. Uh, and Solomon is just here making note of uh, the practical benefits uh, of being uh, and working with others rather than trying to go it alone. 
and the practical benefits of partnership and, and fellowship and a relationship. Uh, and the many blessings of Christian fellowship are rooted not only in divine wisdom, but just a practical wisdom of let's follow Christ together rather than just all of us scattered on our own. And it is best to go into battle with your platoon instead of going out as a single soldier, right? If you have a mission and an objective that you are seeking to accomplish and to achieve, you go out as a, as a group of soldiers, not a single soldier. That's reason number two. So fellowship, number one, is part of divine wisdom. Secondly, it's fellowship is a part of practical wisdom. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 6, see that fellowship allows you to fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6. Wonderful passage. We're going to see one of those one another commands. 6 verse 1. Brothers, even if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the one another command, uh, we have commands given in verse 1. It doesn't say one another, but what are we to do? We're to, uh, if we see, uh, if someone is caught uh, in a a sin and transgression, what does it say to do? Immediately throw them out of the church. No. What do we do? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And who's to do that? You who are spiritual. What's the definition of spiritual? The fruit of the spirit, the end of chapter 5. We are to to come alongside one another, uh, to minister to each other, and to to bear one another's burdens. Uh, That that life circumstance, that sin that is weighing you down, what is the exhortation to those around you? Uh, To come alongside you, uh, to put that upon their shoulders as well, and to walk with you. Uh, But but the key to all of this is really the end of verse 2. Because it says, so bear one another's burdens and then then there's a a, a logical conclusion to this and so fulfill the law of christ the nasb says and so thereby fulfill the law of christ how do we fulfill the law of christ by bearing one another's burdens so here's something to think about you cannot fulfill the law of christ without being in relationship with other believers Uh, And if you isolate yourself, uh, you remove the possibility of obedience to that command. It's pretty remarkable. To isolate yourself is to remove the possibility of obedience. It's like a kid trying to win the spelling bee by not participating in it. Is that going to be even possible? No. Uh, You are not going to be able to uh, fulfill the law of Christ on your own. Uh, It must be carried out and fulfilled in relationship with others. Reason number four, you turn over to Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 and 13, say fellowship is an encouragement against sin. Fellowship is an encouragement against sin. Hebrews three, verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, fellowship is an essential part of the Christian life. And when I say essential, I mean it is absolutely necessary. And, and really, in these verses, we, we have Solomon's wisdom from Ecclesiastes being applied to the Christian uh, battle against sin and unbelief within our own hearts. Right? Back in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, then the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And this passage in Hebrews says, sin has a way of deceiving us. Now, it, it, uh, it causes us to be partially blind. Uh, we don't see as we should. Uh, And if that goes on uh, long enough without being addressed uh, by others, uh, it turns into 
unbelief and a hard-heartedness and ultimately to disobedience and rebellion. So the author of Hebrews is saying, make sure that you speak into one another's lives. As long as it's called today, which is a long time, each and every day. And ultimately, woe to the believer who has isolated himself or herself and who does not have anyone to lift them up when they stumble and fall. Or anybody to even warn them and say, hey, I think you're going down a a dangerous path here. We need to to be watchful. We need others to warn us. To quote Paul Tripp, we are blind to our blind spots. We need others to to give input and say, hey, there's a pit right there and you kind of have your foot over it. You're just about to fall in. Let's go this direction instead. Reason number four, fellowship is an encouragement against sin. Uh, If you stay there in Hebrews for reason number five, you see fellowship is an encouragement toward love and good deeds. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So fellowship is a deterrent against sin, and it is an encouragement to holiness. And we are commanded not to forsake, not to abandon uh, our assembling together. Uh, And it's, again, look at the the unchanging nature of man. Did people sometimes make excuses for not gathering together in the first century? Yeah. He says, some of you make it the habit to not gather together. He says, stop it. Be in fellowship. Don't forsake. Don't abandon assembling yourselves together. And that's why, in essence, I want to, to take this time on the, on the eve of, of our growth groups resuming for this school year. Now, I really want to challenge and encourage all of us, all of, all of those here, to, to pursue fellowship and to think through and to prioritize. How do I, how do I make fellowship and relationship within the church a priority this year right not putting it on the back burner but how do i prioritize church uh, on sunday mornings when we gather and assemble ourselves together for corporate worship and uh, in the 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 largest gathering Uh, and then how do i also not forsake the assembling together uh, of that once a week midweek gathering when we read that description in acts chapter 2 out of the seven days of the week, how many, how many days did they get together? Seven. Okay? Uh, that, 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 that's a lot of getting together. Uh, that's a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, so if you want to go for the Acts model, let's do it. Right? At church every day. No, what, 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 I, what I'm encouraging uh, and, and uh, exhorting you to is make it a priority. Fit it into your schedule. Uh, to be in a growth group, to be in fellowship. That's where you are going to get to know other people and other people are going to get to know you. Uh, That's where you are going to have the opportunity to fulfill all of the one another commands. And if you isolate yourself, what are you not able to do? You're not able to fulfill those commands. You're not able to uh, be obedient and to fulfill the law of Christ. We've looked... Uh, at what fellowship is, and we've looked at the implications that, that flow out of it. We've, we've seen why we ought to uh, prioritize it. And that was five reasons. I could have gone a lot longer. I showed a lot of self-restraint there. You guys should be proud of me. Uh, but I gave you five reasons, but, uh, and, and I really do genuinely pray that you, that you are convinced by those reasons. But I also want to turn our attention to, to setting the right expectations concerning uh, the fellowship that we all need to be a part of. Uh, and this would be the, the last questions that I, that I want to address this morning. Of how do we build fellowship into community? I want to distinguish between those two terms. Okay, community is a, is a buzzword in, in modern church circles. And the, the word has uh, really become interchangeable with the idea of fellowship, but the two are different. See, oftentimes when we speak of community, what we are really describing uh, is the desire uh, to uh, be in relationship with others, to feel like we fit in, uh, to feel like we have uh, a support system who is there to, uh, to encourage us, uh, to come alongside us. And that is, that is good. That is a wonderful desire, and that's what uh, we long to have. 
But we often uh, use that term uh, community to speak of fellowship when really I would say this, that the community is a result of true fellowship. Because true fellowship is already a reality. Uh, It is already present and there. We already have common ground because if we are a believer, we've been united with Christ. Then community uh, is now striving to, uh, to get to know these others who I already have common ground with. Uh, and how do I uh, build a uh, relationship with them and get to know other members of my own body? Uh, and this, this is what I'm describing when I speak of community. A close-knit Christian community is going to be the result of a church building upon our already existing fellowship in Christ. So fellowship is the reality and community is the result. Fellowship exists between believers because we have a common supernatural union with God. And community, uh, that feeling and that support is going to come about as we act uh, according to what is already true. So here's some, some keys to building a community uh, that flows out of our already existent fellowship with God. Key number one. I know there's a lot of lists today. But, and key number one is really good. It's going to sound obvious, but I'll, but I'll explain it. Key number one is that we are to build fellowship upon Christ rather than upon Christ plus something else. There's a, a book uh, entitled the, the Compelling Community by uh, two authors, Jamie Dunlop and, and Mark Dever. Uh, and they make a really good point that it is possible for a church to build community upon something other than Christ and the gospel. Uh, and uh, you can do this in a, in a variety of ways. You can build upon similar life experience. Uh, this is seen uh, kind of, uh, and I, I think this is most notable, when a church is a single generation. That, that indicates something, right? Whether it's a really young generation, kind of the, the middle, uh, or a, a much older generation. If it's a single generation, that they are probably focusing on something other than Christ and something specific to that generation. But sometimes churches can build upon similar life experience, similar uh, identities or hobbies. You have cowboy church and motorcycle church. You have uh, similar causes, similar felt needs, similar social position. And, and the authors of that book refer to that as a gospel plus or a Christ plus community. Uh, and, and building such community is not necessarily sinful at all. So do not misunderstand me. Uh, and it can be very beneficial. Uh, but what we often don't realize and think about is that there is a trade-off that comes with that. That building church community based upon Christ plus something else uh, really is going to be unremarkable to the world. Uh, because the world itself sorts, uh, sorts itself out according to those, those secondary common interests. So the authors contrast a gospel plus community with a gospel revealing community, which is explained by them in this way. Says in a gospel revealing community, many relationships would never exist but for the truth and power of the gospel, either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in relationship have little in common except Christ. Uh, affinity based relationships also thrive in this church, but they're not the focus. Instead, church leaders focus on helping people. Uh, out of their comfort zones to cultivate relationships that would not be possible apart from the supernatural. So this community reveals the power of the gospel. Uh, and a supernatural community puts the gospel on display in a very clear and distinct way. Think about, if you think back to your high school days, if you, if you went to a large high school, uh, you could probably envision lunchtime, right? Uh, and, and during lunchtime, you probably had a place where you went and you hung out with your friends. Right. And uh, all of the students, what do the students do at lunchtime? They start to sort themselves out. Right. In the classroom, they're all together. But during lunchtime, they sort themselves out. Football teams over here. Basketball teams over here. Softball teams over there. The drama kids are back there. Uh, All of the kids and all of the students kind of sort themselves out. But what do they sort themselves out according to? Their common interests. Right. They all have separate little fellowships based upon what interests them. And that's the, that's the normal way of the world. 
Uh, and so, again, sometimes the church naturally does that. We naturally gravitate to people like us. And, again, that's not a sinful thing. I'm not saying don't ever talk to somebody who's a peer. Uh, you can't do that. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, are, you, are you going beyond that? So think of it this way. You would, you would notice uh, if in that high school setting uh, suddenly uh, students from all of those other groups that have sorted themselves out, suddenly if they're gathering together in a particular place uh, and they're all together, and you're like, what is drawing these people together? They, I, I can't see any common ground. I don't see anything that would make those two friends. Then you begin to ask, hey, there, there's something else here. Uh, there's something, some other common ground that I'm not seeing that, that is uniting that group of students right there. And again, that's, that is the, the picture of how the church should be. People coming from a, from a myriad of backgrounds with a myriad of different interests, uh, wh- whatever it may be. Uh, but we are coming and our common ground that we're going to build uh, upon uh, most is going to be our common ground in Christ. Amen? That is a supernatural witness to the world around us. That uh, is powerful. As I was reading the, this book, there was a question that, that, that the authors asked that really made me pause and think. It said, how many of your friendships at church would likely exist even if you weren't a Christian? So would you have that relationship even apart from and outside of Christ? Now, what's, the, what's the basis of that friendship and relationship? Something to think about. Again, my point is not at all that we, need, we, we can't have fellowship with, with those in, with uh, the same interests or common life experiences. But there has to be something more. It goes to, into the other keys that I'm going to uh, bring forward here. So key number one, uh, build upon Christ rather than Christ plus something else. Key number two, commit to build fellowship actively rather than passively. Community... Uh, is oftentimes something that we desire to experience. We want community to happen to us, uh, but we are sometimes reluctant to go out and be community for others. Uh, we're unwilling to, to step outside of our comfort zone uh, and go and reach out to others. So we need to be active in building community rather than just saying, I want community to, uh, to happen around me. You could uh, modify the quote from uh, President Kennedy. Ask not what your church can do for you. That's a bad accent, but uh, ask uh, what you can do for your church. Uh, And beginning to think uh, that way. I love another uh, quote from uh, a different pastor named Matt Merker. He says, if you want a church with, quote, community, get ready to, and he lists off a bunch of things, let people call you out on sin. Drive older ladies to church. Bring folks baby meals, teach Sunday school, pray for the body, have long conversations with awkward people, uh, celebrate weddings and kids while waiting for your own. Says if, if you are wanting community, get ready for that. Get ready to, to build up community actively rather than passively. Number three, realize building fellowship is a process or building community is a process rather than an event. So true Christian fellowship is built rather than found. Oftentimes we're looking for community. Uh, we're unwilling to put forth the effort to build that community. We're, we're impatient. We want it to happen. Uh, we want to immediately step into it rather than laboring to build it up around us. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8 says, The end of a matter uh, is better than its beginning. Uh, and patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Uh, and so... Uh, Community is not going to, to crop up overnight. Uh, you just think of uh, the, the, the deepest relationships that you have. Were they deep immediately? And for some people, they say, yes, it was immediately we went and talked to this. Okay, very, very rare occasion. Uh, but for, for the most part, depth in relationship happens over, over time uh, as you walk through life together. Uh, so key number three. Key number four, I would say remember that fellowship will be messy Rather than clean. A true Christian fellowship is a relationship between sinners. Sinners going to sin. Uh, That's what is going to happen. And when you are in fellowship and community with others, we become interdependent upon one another. Uh, And when we are in fellowship and in community, 
Uh, we are going to, to share in the blessings and the joys, the triumphs and victories of others. That, that's the enjoyable part. Uh, it, it's really, really fun to celebrate engagements and, uh, and, and births, right? Uh, that, that's the really fun part. Uh, w- what's harder uh, is to walk through uh, the, the breakup or the engagement being called off uh, or uh, the, the miscarriage, uh, as many of us have, have gone through. The, it, the fun part is rejoicing with those who rejoice. The, the much harder part is weeping with those who weep. Coming alongside others. We also need to be willing to go down into the mud when others are there. Now, if you're going to go into the mud to get someone else out, what's going to happen? You're going to get muddy too. So a part of genuine fellowship means that you're going to roll up your sleeves, you're going to roll up your pant legs, and you're going to be willing to say, tie a rope to me, I'm going after him. That's the type of commitment and fellowship that we need to have with one another. The other day, as my one-year-old daughter was sick, she wanted me to lift her up. And I, I picked her up, and she just rubbed her snotty nose all over my shirt. Just like major, major gunk. And that's what happens, right? You, you embrace uh, your kids, and there is a transference of germs and gunk. And she was comforted, but I was gunked. And again, that, that is what is going to take place when you are in relationship with others. Uh, and sometimes that is, that's a scary reality. Sometimes we keep people at a distance because we don't want to be gunked. I see the gunk. You got it right there. Uh, no, let's not embrace. Sometimes we don't want the messiness of interacting with others. And sometimes we don't want others to know the gunkiness that's going on in our own heart and in our own lives. But we want to hide that from others so we don't pursue, we don't have relationship, friendship with others, fellowship. So both of those are, are very poor reasons. Because again, that reality of just the practical wisdom, if you're going to isolate yourself, there's going to be ramifications with that. Key number five, say intentionally build fellowship inclusively rather than exclusively. Remember when our church was still meeting in our home and we'd become like a, a close-knit group of about 35 people and I was talking with somebody afterwards and they said, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we just stopped right here and it just stayed like this? Like, this is wonderful. And I said, well, if we were just uh, a, a group of friends and just a, a, a club and uh, if uh, salvation didn't uh, matter uh, and if discipleship wasn't important, uh, if there weren't people that we needed to come alongside, then like, yeah, this would be, just be a wonderful, I enjoy being, uh, enjoy being with that group of people. Uh, and sometimes in our, in our hearts, we kind of come to that point and we say, well, this is enough. Uh, and I don't want anything to, to change. Uh, and the, the reality of Christian fellowship is that we can never stop being inclusive. Uh, we, we never get to that point where we, we begin to exclude others. Uh, we should also or always be striving to include more and more people uh, in and pursuing people. You see a new person uh, here uh, on Sunday morning or come to the growth group, uh, pursue them. Go, t- go talk with them. Seek to include them in uh, the relational community here. Uh, always striving to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Don't ever say, well, I have my friends in, at church, so I'm done. I don't need to talk to anybody else. So don't begin to, to, to build that thought pattern. Christian community is intended to continually seek to include more and more people in that community. And then sixth and final key, understand that fellowship should be multi-layered rather than single-layered. So as we continue to strive to include others, uh, there's going to be some natural stratification to the relationships in your life. Uh, and that's normal. You should have uh, a few relationships that are really, really deep. Uh, but you should have more than just those deep relationships. Uh, you should have other relationships, other acquaintances. I would, I would encourage you, at some point or another, you should strive to have everybody else who's in the church over at least one time for a meal. Right? Are they a part of this body? Are they connected to you and your family? Absolutely. So continue to strive to, to get to know one another. 
Uh, we should have more than just a few close relationships. Uh, and kind of flip side of that, sometimes we have no close relationships. Everybody is just an acquaintance. Uh, and again, those are, those are both uh, errors, both a way of kind of keeping certain people away. Uh, and, and this multiple layers of fellowship, is, it's just a natural thing because we're finite people with finite amounts of time and finite capacity. Uh, and even Jesus had multiple levels to his relationships. Uh, There were 500 disciples who saw him uh, resurrected. Uh, There was a group of 70 that he sent out to uh, preach and to perform miracles. He had a group of uh, 12 disciples that he kind of lived and and went about with. But then there was also a smaller group of three who were with him in the most uh, uh, private of moments, even the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. So there should be that natural uh, change, and there's a, there's a breadth and a depth uh, to our uh, relationships. But ultimately, we need to be willing to get to know others. Uh, and it's okay to have close relationships, but don't make those necessarily exclusive relationships. Strive to always include others and weave them into the community. Uh, because uh, we already have fellowship. Because we already have common ground uh, with the triune God. I know that was a lot. Uh, lots of sub sub lists, and if you, if you didn't catch all those, uh, just talk to me. I can email it to you if if you want them. Over over the course of the last few weeks, as as summer has been winding down, Libby and I have been talking a lot about our family plans for the fall. And uh, family calendar uh, fills up quickly. We, we penciled in uh, normal family events. We reserved dates for uh, friends and and family from out of town to, to come visit. You know, we made note of, you know, special autumn activities that we want to do this year. Picking apples, visiting the farmstead, attending a BSU game, you know, picking pumpkins, lots of things. And as I went through that process, I was realizing, like, man, this is, this is really filling up rapidly. And I'm sure uh, that, uh, that many of you are in that same situation, looking forward to the next season, but... There were a couple of things that, that came up in our discussion yesterday where we had multiple events competing for the same time slot. Uh, and what happens in that situation? You can't do everything, so you naturally choose something. Uh, and in those types of scheduling conflicts, our priorities are demonstrated. Uh, the, the things that are most important uh, are, are chosen. And I know there's a lot of factors within that. Uh, but uh, my, my encouragement to you is as you are planning not only the fall, but into the, the winter uh, and, and beyond, uh, prioritize fellowship. Prioritize being in and pursuing relationship with other believers uh, and strive to fulfill the one another. As we've seen all of this, this is not uh, happen overnight. This doesn't happen with a, a waving of the wand. Uh, this is something that, that takes time, energy, effort, and it's going to be messy. And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to have that type of a community? We all want that type of community, uh, but if we want that, we have to build it. Amen? Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll sing uh, one uh, verse, and we'll be dismissed.